Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you whenever and wherever you are listening. It is the Drinks Break Podcast, episode 19 now, your weekly review and preview of all things football across England. And your ears do not deceive you. It is Mark Crisp hosting this week. Uh, Charlie is feeling a little bit under the weather, so we wish him all the best, but he will be back next week, I am sure. So today it is me taking the reins, but I am joined by a special guest, someone who has joined us in the past for one of our quizzes. It is Matty Reed. Matty, how are you doing, my Yeah, friend? I'm good, thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Plenty of football to obviously talk about this week, and it's great to have you on board a different opinion of course and we've said we've said it in the past you know it's always great to have people who come and get involved and to actually have a special guest for the the review and preview and and give their take on premier league championship league one league two is superb so thank you for coming thank on you mate for having me it'd be a pleasure to talk about football with you absolutely we always do that, that was the basis <laughs> of our friendship for three years at university so it's good to it's good to have you on, and we'll we'll get back to back to our roots effectively. Absolutely, looking forward to it. Good stuff, and we're going to just get cracking straight away with what was another busy weekend of Premier League football. And I'm going to start off with the game that me and Charlie highlighted last week as the game that should be the highlight of the weekend. And whenever we do that, it ends up being a rather drab affair and not as many goals as we anticipate. And that was the game that took place, of course, between Manchester City and Liverpool at the Etihad Stadium. A one-all draw, uh, Mo Salah and Gabriel Jesus scoring for their respective sides. Kevin De Bruyne missed a penalty in the first half. And then after that, really, not a lot else happened. I mean, Matty, what what was your take on the game? What did you think of it? Um, Could it have been better? Uh, Yeah, I think, as you say, uh, I think everyone was looking at this game as a as a massive game that might decide the season and sort of, I know it's early on in the season, but this certainly will play in a big part. I think um, my opinion of it, that Man City were probably favourites going into the game. I know that home advantage doesn't sort of play a massive, massive effect at the moment without any fans, but I think at the Etihad, they've always been quite good. And I also think Liverpool struggling without centre-backs. I just thought that Man City's front line would be and end up being too sort of powerful for Liverpool. Um, but as you say, I think um, after watching the sort of the first, this could be a three-two or game. And I thought, I thought second, I think both both teams sort of nullified each other and sort of, yeah, just sort of, sort of just faded out the game in the end. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it felt a little bit like two sides that were afraid to lose, didn't it? In the second, absolutely. And no, I, I think that you've nailed it there. I think. I think Man City and Liverpool in the end were probably quite happy with a draw. I don't think either team wanted to lose. Um, I think it was a more important for maybe City to to take the onus and try and win the game, but I didn't think they really did that in the second half. So I think in the end, Liverpool will be happier with the point, but Man City probably not overly disappointed in the end. Yeah, agreed. And and going back and looking upon it now, you know, we didn't really look too much into the stats last week, but the way that the two teams have obviously started the season, we know has not been superb okay Liverpool are in the the top four you know fair enough to them but Man City's home form has started off rather flat Liverpool's away form has started off rather flat so you know the the game that we actually got in the end was maybe what we anticipated and and I kind of agree I do agree with your point that out of the two sides I think if anyone needed to go and take the reins and maybe try and get that win based on how the, the season's gone so far it was probably Manchester City and, and they didn't really deliver on no, that, did they? No, agreed. I, I do feel a bit disappointed in sort of the way that they 
they came out and played second half. As I say, I think there was a perfect opportunity for them to obviously take the lead when De Bruyne missed the penalty, but also to sort of play against a team that were missing their defenders. Um, and it, I just thought that it was a perfect opportunity for Man City to get a result. And I think it's a wasted opportunity for them to take the three points, if I'm honest. Absolutely, yeah. And they, they do obviously still have uh, a game in hand because they didn't play on the opening weekend. Um, but even with that game in hand, you know, they would, if they were to win it, um, if it was to come around, they would, they would be on 15 points uh, still outside of the, the top four and a few points off of the, two, the, the sides at the top of the table, sorry, that we're going to talk about in a minute. But I, I know it's still early doors, but that's got to be a little bit concerning for for Pep and, and Man City fans out there if you're you're quite a far quite quite a way off the lead already. Yeah, absolutely. And I know uh, just before the season started, I was listening to the radio, and Sol Campbell said that he feels that um, Pep Guardiola won't last the season, and I think everyone laughed at that. But I think now we're starting to see, and I'm not saying he's going to get sacked, but I'm saying cracks are starting to show up, and I think people are starting to say, will he last the season or you know, we wouldn't have ever thought that um, from his previous seasons where he's been amazing and got these 100 points and, and scoring loads of goals and look undefeatable in some some games. But I'm, you know, starting to con- consider whether or not Sol Campbell had a point about him. Yeah, I don't agree a lot with what Sol Campbell says a lot of the time, but it is one thing that we have kind of pointed out. that This is, you know, probably the, the darkest patch, really, of Pep Guardiola's whole managerial career. And he's really got a, a job on his hands. And um, you wonder how much more time he's, he's going to get before the, the Man City owners potentially do turn around and say, you know, you're not going to get what we want this season and, uh, and potentially send him out of the door. I think, um, I think he's always wanted to win the, the championship with uh, Man City. And I mm. think uh, opportunity to progress further and, and lost to Leon, I think. I think it was Leon. Um, yeah, and I just think that, and obviously he had the the season before where we were watching that amazing game against Spurs, even, and he he just cannot quite get Absolutely. over the, get over the line to get them to that Champions League final in the thing. So I do, um, so I do feel depending dependent on how his Champions League sort of in in his job future, I think. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it's that one thing that they do just need to get over the line and potentially, you know, even just potentially get into a Champions League final might actually be the, the stepping stone that, that saves it for him. Um, on the other side, obviously, Liverpool, uh, a point means that they stay in the top three. They're just a point behind Leicester City at the top. But it's another game where they haven't kept a clean sheet. They've only kept one clean sheet all season. And of course, you, you mentioned the injuries, you know, Van Dijk, Fabinho, Alexander-Arnold. And today, we're recording this on uh, Wednesday, the 11th of November. And today, there's major reports coming out that Joe Gomez has potentially suffered a serious injury while out on training camp with England. Uh, you know, that if, if that's the case, then that's surely another nail in the coffin. And you wonder how things could get better for Liverpool defensively. Yeah, I completely agree. I think um, there's only so many injuries that one team can sustain and for them still to look as strong. And I think we did see glimpses of them not looking defensively as strong as they could be. I know that Alexander-Arnold and their attacking attacking side of the game, but they often give them that um, sort of solid, solid looking defence. And I think Alexander-Arnold would be a big loss, but I think also... Um, 
you know, Van Dyke for the season. Joe Gomez, as you say, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a, a quick, a quick sort of fix injury. Um, we saw the two young lads fill in at centre back uh, in in two different games, I think, and they did well. Like I don't think any Liverpool fan would would argue that they did well, but I don't know whether you can really Agreed, yeah. say that those two will will provide them the, the stable base that they need in order to to challenge for the title. I, I hope I'm proved wrong because I think it'll be a good opportunity for them to play a big part in that push. But um, I, I personally can't see it myself, um, you know, week in, week out, them producing performances that will allow Liverpool to contend. So I th- I do feel like this is a big a big issue for Liverpool. Um, I don't know. I think a big part of it will be how they can deal with this, uh, this sort of problem up until January and see if they can sort anything out in January if need be. The problems might... might well, the, the, their season might be all so they, they, you know, they might not have the opportunity to sort it out. I don't know. Yeah, it, it could it could already play a major factor even this early on in the season, and and things don't get any easier for for Liverpool or for Manchester City because their first game after the international break, both sides are having to play the the teams that are in the top two in this early stage of the season. That being Leicester City, who play Liverpool and uh, Tottenham Hotspur, who will play Man City. And one thing I want to talk about with, with Leicester and Tottenham being the top two now, you know, with everything that's going on for Liverpool and Man City, the problems that they're having, teams like Leicester and Tottenham are capitalising, and they both obviously went and won again on Sunday, both getting uh, 1-0 victories. They deserve to be in the top two, in my opinion, and that's what Alan Shearer pointed out. And I want to mention something that he said, though, was that they deserve to be top two, yes, but he didn't think that Leicester or Tottenham can or will win the Premier League. Why is that the case? Why couldn't they go and win the Premier League with what's going on with Liverpool and Man City? What I would say is, we've just spoken about how injuries can hinder a team's sort of start to the season. Leicester, a lot of people would forget that they're probably missing two or three of their stronger players. You know, you've got... Ricardo Pereira playing right back, often considered one of the better right backs in the league. He hasn't played a game this season, I don't believe. Uh, Wilfred Ndidi, mm-hmm. arguably their best midfield player, as you know, sits in front of that defence and guards it really well, hasn't played a game this season. And Suinchu, the centre back, who was arguably quite surprising last year uh, in terms of his performances, but he he's been out for a few games. So it does show that teams like Leicester can deal with a few injuries to key players. Personally, I don't know whether they can sustain that. And I'd be very, very interested to see whether, if Jamie Vardy got injured, what, what that effect would play on their sort of their promotion, uh, their sort of title bid. But, um, I, I, yeah, I agree. I don't, I, I don't think Leicester... Because obviously Leicester have still got um, European football as well. You know, they've got to balance that. Playing yep. Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. A few injuries and I could see that their squad depth might not be enough. Um in terms of Spurs, uh, I think I, I think their attacking attacking line I think rivals one of the best in the league. I think when you've got a, a front three potentially of Bale, Kane, and Son, I think uh, there's always going to be goals there. Uh, Kane's proven over the last few seasons that he'll score goals regardless of how they come in, left foot, right foot, headers. He's always in the right place at the right time. Son, I would argue, he's probably one of the most underrated footballers in that league. Um, I think he plays a massive part in the way that Spurs play, um, and I really enjoy watching Son and Bale as well. You know, he's only just come back, but if he can find any sort of form that he he found in his early stages at 
at Real Madrid or when he was leaving Spurs, then that front three is going to be exceptionally dangerous. I I just get a little bit concerned with their their back four, and I think I think that's a common theme across the, across the league. Really, I think the defenses, mm. you know, from the, what we're bigger teams, you know, the Manchester United's, the Arsenal's. Although I do think Arsenal's have got better, uh, even if they did concede three against Villa the other day. Um, but I think Spurs and Man United, um, yeah. and I think I think their defensive defensive frailties could could hinder their their performances this year and where they eventually will finish. And that is why I don't think Spurs will necessarily necessarily challenge for the title because of that that back four problem. If you spoke to a, a Spurs fan, I don't necessarily think they would all agree on what their best back four is. And when you've got that as a as a as a problem, then then it shows that there's no clear out and clearing out sort of decisions there, like as to who's going to play in that back four. I think if you were to speak to Liverpool and say who your best back four, they would say away say these are our best back four if everyone was fit. With Spurs, I don't believe they have that sort of um, that sort of idea. So that would be why I don't think they either of those teams would change for the title. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Case very well made. I'll give you that. That was, uh, that was very impressive. Um, I, I can completely understand. I suppose the thing with Tottenham at the moment, like you say, yes, they, you know, they probably wouldn't know what their strongest back four is, but the good thing for them is they do have the options still available because they're not lacking the, uh, the injuries. So they can afford to, to rotate and try and, solve that problem and work that out at this stage of the season still early on Leicester like you say they're missing players but they are a case of a team that can cope with those few injuries of of key players like you said and you know that's what makes this Leicester side at the moment a little bit different from the side that won it four years ago I know that was okay we consider it a fluke but the team I was looking back at the team that they had that season barely unchanged the starting 11 pretty much stayed the same for the entire season and and that really benefited them that year and I wonder if that's you know going to be the case if that's going to have to be the case for a team like Leicester or Tottenham to uh to potentially go and win the league but um we shall see it's good on them that they've they're doing so well at the start of the campaign I wonder if there's any other teams that are going to potentially break into that battle, um, especially after looking at the results this weekend. You know, a handful of teams getting some really comfortable uh, victories. Manchester United beating Everton 3-1. Uh, Chelsea smashing Sheffield United 4-1. Southampton beating Newcastle 2-0. And Crystal Palace smashing Leeds 4-1 as well. And so, obviously, OK, Crystal Palace and Man United, you know, the way they've started this season you wouldn't classify them probably as title contenders, nor Southampton, because Southampton and Southampton, in my opinion, um, and they, they wouldn't be in the title hunt. But Chelsea, um, what's to say they couldn't be in the, in the hunt at the, so, the end of yeah, the season? Before the season started, I had a chat with one of my friends about who I thought could potentially win the league. And my three names were uh, Liverpool, Man City and uh, Chelsea. And I said Chelsea were the outsiders. Uh, I think... Their recruitment over the summer was fantastic. I think they brought in some players that have certainly uh, improved their their team and their squad. So, you know, we don't have to look much further than Werner, who had a slow start to the season, but I think everyone knew the quality he possesses and he's starting to show that now. Um, Havertz, again, although young, has produced some fantastic performances uh, in Germany. And I think, although he probably hasn't shown his best form yet, I 
I think everyone knows that he he can produce some outstanding performances, and it's only a matter of time before before they're shown. Um, what I would say is, I think one of the biggest biggest signings, and I believe it was on a free, was is this Thiago Silva, and not not because he's mm. necessarily you know as quick as Van Dijk or or anything along those lines, or even as as good a defender, but he brings that experience. He's come from PSG. He's he, you know he's he's been in a, a team where who have won the French league a lot of times. And again, I know that the French league isn't the highest standard, but he's been in the Champions League and he just has that experience. And I I feel like that's the sort of player that Chelsea needed just to settle down that back four and and give it a bit of leadership. And I I feel like we are starting to see that. Um, do he got he got a lot of sorry he got a lot of ridicule for the um his what was his debut against West Brom didn't he because he made a couple of the mistakes early on in yeah, that game uh, that led to them being three 0 down but ever since think, yeah, he's turned think, it around I think uh, everyone was going quick were happy to sort of jump on him early on and I think I think that is the, the same for a lot of players everyone is always eagle eyed of these doing anything good in those games you know and if I I know the game you're talking about the West Brom game it, I actually didn't watch the game but straight away if I was going on Twitter or Facebook you'd see all these mistakes he was making but actually if you watch the game there were some really good things he did in that game and if, if you hadn't watched the game like myself you would have known that actually there were some good things he did in that game um, and I, the other thing I want to bring sort of I think everyone knows that Kepa was having a very tricky time at Stamford Bridge. And I think um, bringing in Mendy uh, has has just relaxed the back four even more. I feel like they trust him. I feel like they know what they're going to get with him. I feel like with Kepa, he was almost producing some panic for the back four and that was making them play worse. Whereas when we've got Mendy, I feel like Chelsea back four feels a lot more comfortable and feels a lot more sort of like they know what they're going to get and more relaxed. So, yeah, that would be why I feel like Chelsea could push there. Um, but who knows? Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think they've they've solved the the problems now with with Mendy and Thiago Silva um, in their defence. I think that's solved a lot of problems there. And you know, you said it yourself: the goal scoring potential that they've got. They're the, they're the top scorers in the Premier League at the moment. Um, that that speaks volumes, and I think that will probably continue with the the, the caliber of player that they've got. That, that Chelsea will be up there. Um, so things are going well for them because they're, they're. I mean, they're six. Uh, six unbeaten as well at the at the same time, so things are going smoothly for them. Two sides that I do want to mention that probably were my teams of the week, I suppose, and and probably a lot of people's teams in the week of the week um, as well. Crystal Palace smashing Leeds by four goals to one. Um, amazing what Abere Eze does when he comes into the team and he actually starts because he was instrumental in the first half to to giving Crystal Palace a, a very comfortable lead early goings and then uh, you mentioned it with with Arsenal getting thrashed by Aston Villa who you know have have surprised everyone so far this season with some of their results but they they go and do it again with a a 3-0 win against Arsenal and and Ollie Watkins um getting a couple of the goals in the second half you know he's looking a right good player so yeah you know, Villa uh, Palace both uh, yeah, absolutely. On the weekend. So I didn't I didn't catch the uh, Chris Palace Leeds game I've seen the highlights of it um, and absolutely, I think uh, Eze, I think, obviously came from QPR. I've seen him play in the Championship when Ipswich around there and seen highlights of him. And I, I really, really rate him as a player. 
Um, I think he's got great potential. But actually, I think Crystal Palace are probably, over the last few seasons, in my opinion, have in some games overachieved. I, I feel like you always know what you're going to get with Crystal Palace. Then you never really get a surprise them. Mm. Um, I think this is probably the biggest surprise I've had with them, beating Leeds 4-1, because Leeds have made quite a sort of... Uh, what's the word? Yeah, solid. They made solid a solid start, start to the season, you know, haven't they? They had a great game against Man City. Um, really good to watch. Obviously, lost to Villa um, quite heavily. Uh, no, sorry, they beat Villa. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, but then, uh, yeah, Crystal, yeah, Crystal yeah. Palace. <laughs> I, I, I would have predicted probably a one-all draw. Um, but yeah, Crystal Palace went there and outplayed them in every department, from what I've seen. And um, yeah, it was very, very impressive in terms of the Villa. Villa game. Uh, I obviously had seen Arsenal had um, had the best defensive record, so I didn't expect a three a three nil loss. Um, but what I would say is I expected a better performance from Arsenal. I did watch that game and I was very very disappointed in the way Arsenal played, especially after watching the Man United Arsenal game the week before and seeing how much they had improved and the pressing game that they played and the intensity that they were playing their game at. It had all lost. It was all lost against Aston Villa. Out, Aston Villa outpressed them, outran them. They were more physical than them. They were there to the second ball every single time. I think everyone knows, um, you know, how fantastic Jack Grealish has been for Aston Villa in the last few seasons. I watched him, and I, I think he's got to be playing for England, in my opinion. I think he brings something different to England um, that we don't always have. I think. The way that he runs past players, the way that he brings other players into play is just fantastic. But as you said, Ollie Watkins, uh, I'd seen him for a bit for Brentford and was really, really impressed with him. And I was interested to see the sort of the step up that he could make to the Premier League. And I, I was a bit apprehensive as to whether he could make that step up. But obviously, he scored two goals against Arsenal. He got two against uh, Liverpool and could have had a hatchet hit the bar. I've been really, really impressed. And actually, I'd say he's probably my... Um, my standout sort of most most surprised player of the season so far is uh, Ollie Watkins. Um, and I've been really, really impressed. So I don't know what you think about that, but I'd say Ollie Watkins is certainly up there as one of my sort of surprise picks as such for this year. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, you know, I obviously saw it, like you said, last season with, with some of his performances for, for Brentford. And, and it wasn't just him in that Brentford team. It was that front three as a whole. I think that just they made the difference for, for them and they were the reason that they they got as high as they did. And, um, you know, the price tag was a bit, uh, it seemed a little bit too much, but I suppose any player can, you know, get 20 plus million pounds nowadays with, with the way that football's changed. And um, it was just about whether he could do it in the Premier League. And, and so far, you know, two goals against uh, two goals against Arsenal, three goals against Liverpool. He's certainly setting the world alight at the moment and long may it continue for him and, and for Villa. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, Villa have got a lot of sort of uh, fans as such, you know, enjoy watching them play at the moment. I think a lot of people enjoy watching Grealish run past people and just the way that they're sort of being set up. And I, I think a lot of that comes to um, the manager and I think he's doing a really good job with them at the moment. Absolutely, yeah. Only three points off of uh, top of the table and they still have a game in hand because they didn't play on the, uh, the opening weekend, which I believe is against Manchester City. So that'll be an interesting affair when that game comes around. There's one other sort of uh, Premier League talking point that I want to mention, and it's a bit more on the lighter side, um, coming from the London Stadium and uh, West Ham's game against Fulham. 
But uh, again, it was another drab affair for, for 90 minutes, but all the action happened in the injury time of that game. West Ham taking the lead, Thomas Suchek scoring uh, two minutes into, into injury time. Um, for those of you who've been listening to the podcast, I said that I've been doing uh, a last man standing thing where you, you pick a different team each week to, to win. Um, and, and, you know, it, it keeps going until eventually one man is left standing and, and has, has carried on a good run. I chose West Ham. So I was relieved, massively relieved when Suchek scored in the 92nd minute. But I was talking to a friend at the time. And he said, well, I hope that there's no VAR circumstances that take place and, uh, and cost you. And lo and behold, what happened? Fulham went and got a, a penalty. Um, that was a penalty, rightly so. You know, I can't, I can't deny it was a penalty. Um, and VAR was right to go back and look at it. But Adamola Lookman took it, former Cholton player. So I wouldn't have been very happy if he had scored. But he decided to Penenka it, try and chip Fabianski in the West Ham goal. And ended up with a bit of egg on his face because Fabianski just picked it out of the air. Um, what what is any player in their right man mind doing, thinking of penenkering a penalty in the ninety eighth minute? Really? Come I, on. I I completely agree. When I saw this, I was absolutely shocked. I was thinking, who would, as you say, who on earth would even consider doing that? You know, you've got a chance to get your your team a point where you don't think you're going to get a point after the other team has scored. You know, in the added on time and you decide to try and be clever and Penenka. I, I, I honestly, if I was Scott Parker, I rightfully would have been fuming. And I think Scott Parker did come out and actually together because I don't think I would have been able to. He was very frustrated with Lookman and Lookman was frustrated with himself. But I would hate to have seen what had happened in the changing room and when they had all got in there. Um, exactly. It, it, it was a chance to claim a point for a Fulham side that are obviously going to you know, be in that relegation battle. And with everyone getting... Uh, five teams sort of getting cut adrift at the, the bottom of the Premier League at the moment. You know, any point is is vital, uh, even at this early stage, and uh, especially for Fulham. And, and you know, Lookman's gone and done that, and he's he's cost his team really. Yeah, um, as you say, it's almost like they're playing that their own little mini league at the bottom. And that point, I wonder if it will become vital at the end of the season for for survival. Um, and I hope it doesn't because <laughs> Fulham fans won't be impressed, but. You really hope for for Lookman that that isn't the difference between survival and relegation. Absolutely not. Yeah. So we shall see. But obviously, we'll be reviewing, uh, previewing. Sorry, the Premier League uh, come next week when Charlie will be back with us, and we'll be looking at the games for Saturday, the twenty first of November. Some big games coming up that weekend as well. So certainly be tuned in for that. But um, I, I'll get your sort of final opinion um, before. We move on to the championship, Matty, because you're a you know, different voice to the podcast and, and a different opinion here. But, you know, we've done our predictions and, and said who we've sort of thought are going to be in that title hunt. And, and, you know, with eight games gone, I think we'd reflect on it and maybe change a few things if me and Charlie could. But you can do this with you can do this seven, eight games into the campaign and say, well, who are you thinking are going to be? You know, your top four teams, perhaps. Who you think is going to be in the? Who's going to be the title uh, winners come the end of the season? Who you think is potentially going to get relegated? So um, I think even eight games in, I'd, normally in a normal standard season, I think people would start to be able to build up a really good picture as to the sort of top top two and 
who potentially might be in the bottom three. I think this season is a bit of an anomaly. I think it's wide open. I personally think that Liverpool and Man City will finish in the top top four. I think I do personally think they will also be the top two. Um, not sure what which way round they would go, but I would definitely say they'd be in the top two still. Um, I would think that Chelsea will finish uh, third, um, and I I do personally think that Arsenal's performance against Aston Villa, hopefully Mikel Arteta will get into them over the international break when they return. And I, I do feel that actually I've seen a lot of positives from them this season. Um, they're you know they're defensively stronger. Um, Abamyang and Lacazette haven't started firing yet, and I think if Abamyang starts getting a bit of a rhythm uh, and starts to get a run going, I do feel that like Arsenal will push up that table, especially with their in uh, sort of their better defensive quality. Um, so I think personally it'll be between Spurs and Arsenal uh, for the fourth fourth position. Um, in terms of bottom three, I know that Sheffield United and Burnley have had awful starts to the season. Um, I do, I do sort of fear for Sheffield United a little bit. Um, obviously, they were so good to watch last season. You know, play some really good football, and I'd, I'd seen that in the Championship when Ipswich played them. Uh, Chris Wilder is bringing a different sort of style of football. He gets those centre backs sort of pushing up and often they would score quite a few goals. Um, but I do fear that they've been found out a little bit. They've had some sort of injuries to vital positions and vital players. So I do fear for Sheffield United. Um, and I feel West Brom and Fulham will also uh, go down. I think Burnley will have enough. I think uh, they don't, they're not always a pretty team to watch, but I do think that they'll pick up vital points and, and wins Um throughout the season I think they'll just about survive but I do fear for, for West Brom Fulham and Sheffield United for me so interesting stuff we'll see how right you are come the end of the season we might get you <laughs> back on at the end of the season and see how close you are I think me and Charlie might need to do a bit of a mid-season reflection see how, how well we've been doing on our predictions but you never know we shall see I like that you're not going with the herd really with the, how Leicester and Tottenham have started um, I can understand why you're still thinking that like Chelsea and Arsenal are going to be up mm, there come mm. the end of the campaign because yeah, it should be yeah, yeah. it should be at the end of it good stuff right thank you for that Matthew we're going to move on now just to the uh, championship uh, after this weekend and again it's another interesting weekend because it's tightened up at the top of the table and you, you said a moment ago about how leagues start to to take shape early on in the season and normally after about 10 games or so I think uh, many fans will will start to see where their team's potentially you're going to lie um and with the championship being 11 games in now you know i'm wondering is it a case of the championship is now starting to take shape with 11 teams having six points separating them at the top the, the gap really has closed obviously from reading now losing three games in a row and they've, they've conceded three goals in each game in the process really letting themselves down a little bit You've got, you've got Watford, Norwich and Bournemouth, who, of course, were relegated last season, second, third and fourth. You've got big teams like Swansea, Bristol City, Middlesbrough, Stoke, Brentford are in there still. And then and teams like Millwall and Luton as well in that battle. You know, is the top of the championship starting to take shape or are there still teams that you think are anomalies um, in there? Yeah, agreed. I think the first one we have to look at is Reading. I, I personally, you know, I've seen Reading play a few times when Ipswich have have been playing them. And I do feel like Reddit at the start of the season, that they were so 
think that's a false position for them. I'm not saying that oh, they should be relegation candidates, but I certainly would not have predicted them to be at sort of sort of higher up the table and top in the table. And I, I would personally um, mm. imagine that they'll slowly sort of um, find their way down the table. Um, at the start, Especially off the yeah, back of the results they've had. Yeah, you know, the three, was it 3-2 against Coventry, 3-0 against Preston, 3-0 against Stoke. Mm. It's, it's letting them down now, isn't it? Absolutely. And I do feel like they'll, they'll slowly... At the start of the season, I predicted Watford to win the league. Um, Same I've, here. I've watched them play a few times. I do. I think they've kept hold of uh, a few of their stronger players, and I do feel like their sort of some of their their sort of stronger players are too good for the championship. So I'd be surprised if they're if they're not in the automatic promotion place at the start of, at the end of the season. Uh, at least they should finish in the playoffs somewhere and have a chance of going up through the playoffs. Um, again, although it uh, pains me to say, it, Norwich. I've always been a strong side <laughs> and it doesn't, I'm not surprised that they're sort of high up. Same with Bournemouth. Um, the, the, in, the, the team in 24th place is a big surprise to me, Derby County. Um, Absolutely. I, I don't think I've ever seen Derby struggle as much as this or certainly not for a while. Um, you know, it, it's almost, I'm, I am surprised to see them at the, at the foot of the table and, um, you know, I, you, uh, you surprised Philip yeah, Cocu hasn't gone yet? I, I remember in an earlier podcast that you suggested that the, um, the that he may you know he may be the first one to get the sack or the Nottingham Forest the Nottingham Forest manager. Um, obviously the Nottingham Forest manager was sacked, uh, and I'm I'm very surprised that he's still in charge at Derby County. I think they're a big club. Um, at the start of the season, they probably anticipated being sort of top eight, I would imagine, and and certainly pushing on that playoff sort of door, but. I feel like, you know, even at this early stage, they're 13 points off sixth place and I really can't see them getting anywhere near uh, the you know the sixth place position. And I would have thought that changes will need to happen in order for them to sort of see an upturn in form because at the moment it doesn't seem like he's getting enough out of the players. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, when, when you've got one team that has already made that change, you said, you know, I mentioned that Forrest and Derby were probably the two managers I thought that would go first. Forrest made that change and, and their form has started to take a bit of an upturn. You know, they've won their last two games and uh, are, are getting themselves out of the relegation battle and all of a sudden maybe thinking about moving up towards that top half. So why it's not happened for the Derby yet, I'm, I'm quite surprised by. And there's another team in the Championship that did make a, a managerial change, probably thinking of getting out of the relegation zone themselves. Although I'm a little bit more surprised at this one, and I'll tell you why in a moment, is, uh, is Gary Monk being sacked by Sheffield Wednesday. This is off the back of Sheffield Wednesday having their original 12-point deduction reduced to six points, which uh, we spoke about last week on the podcast, meaning that they're now in the, the hunt a little bit more to survive, and they're only two points off of safety now instead of what would have been eight. Um, so you would have thought that the m- morale and confidence and belief in the camp with, with Gary Monk, his staff and his players, it would have been up and they would feel a bit more rejuvenated by that. But that's obviously not what the owner's then gone for. He's made the decision to to get rid of Gary Monk yeah. and his staff. And I'm just surprised that that's happened then of all the times that it's yeah, happened Yeah, I share then. your surprise completely. I saw the news that he'd, he'd been sacked and it really had surprised, sort of 
surprised me because, as you say, I, I thought that that would have given them the incentive. You know, we've had our ban reduced, everyone pulled together and we'll, we'll make our way up the league. And it does seem a really, really strange time for to make a managerial change. Um, and I completely agree with what you're saying. I think it's an interesting to see how they or who they now how who they now bring in and and if their form increases or or, or stays you know quite low. But I... yeah, well, the bookies talking about manage, you know the managerial uh, who might be coming in. The bookies and reports have suggested potentially Sol Campbell, you know, someone that you mentioned earlier, but a guy that's not got not got a great managerial resume. No, no, absolutely. I think I think he he was at. Um... South Ends, uh, Macclesfield, yeah. and South and, um, Ends, yeah, it, yeah, and not done um, very so well. So that would be a very interesting swap to make if you if you got rid of Gary Monk and brought in Sol Campbell. But who knows? We might be looking in three or four weeks, and they've gone up the table. The other team that I uh, wanted to talk about was Wickham Wanderers. I think obviously they had a horrific start to the season. Um, hadn't hadn't won a game in their first eight. I don't I don't believe. Um, but their form has mm-hmm. had a sort of a bit of a an increase because I think Akin Fenwa's come back and someone said to me the other day, well, they're missing Akin Fenwa. And I was thinking, well, you know, I've, I've seen he's done a good job in League One when I watched him play Ipswich and I thought he did do a good job. But surely they can't be relying on someone who's who's closer to 40 than 30 um, to, to, <laughs> to sort of build around. And But he was absolutely right. Um, he caused absolute havoc when he, when he played, I think, in his last two games, he caused absolute havoc. Um, they won. They won two of their last three, and and they're starting to move up. And I think if you had spoken to Wickham fans before the start of the season, they would have taken finishing twenty first this season um, without question. I feel like that's they would be really happy with that absolutely. And they're only they're only one point off Coventry yeah. City. So you know, I would be interested to see how they go. But I actually am sort of rooting for them because I think I think obviously. Um, Everyone was writing them off after after eight games, saying, "Well, they're definitely down. There's only two relegation spots to be sort of to be contested for." And I actually, like to see them sort of stay up and prove people wrong. Yeah, everyone everyone loves an underdog story, don't they? And and that's what Wickham are in the Championship. They are the underdogs. And and you say about people writing them off, and I think even we've been guilty on the on the podcast of doing that of writing them off. But fair play to them, like you say, they picked up a couple of wins, and all of a sudden. Things looking a little bit more uh, promising than they had done, you know, four weeks ago. Uh, so yeah, that that relegation battle certainly holding up. Things certainly closing up, like we said at the the top of the table earlier early on. Um, again, before we kind of move on, any teams that have maybe caught your eye as a surprise package and think, you know, maybe they're a side that you think, hmm, top six so- potentially. I think Brentford are surprised, although I don't know why I'm surprised, because obviously they've lost their main man in Ollie Watkins um, and obviously lost Ben Rama as well. So obviously I, I thought that they might be sort of higher up, but they're probably getting used to life without those two main men. And they're obviously going to be two big players to replace. So I like, I, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Brentford, so I wouldn't mind seeing them sort of push for the top six. Um, but one team I have sort of, have been quite interesting to watch have been Blackburn Rovers and I think they're the highest scoring team in the championship um, I think Adam Armstrong has been yeah. on fire um, and he's a player that I enjoyed watching when he was at Newcastle but sort of found like seems to be on absolute I think you know they've got a, a good chance and 
that could push that top top six. And they're not always a team that we would, although historically have been in the Premier League and stuff, not in the sort of on the past or the recent past have they been. And I think they could be potentially a dark horse. Mm. Um, so yeah, potentially Blackburn. Um, so we have to see what, how they get on. But yeah, yeah. Completely agree. Yeah, I, I, I've said that very highly of them at the start of the season when they had a, a great uh, early run. And, and like you said, they've scored lots of goals. You know, Adam Armstrong being the, the difference maker, really. Things have turned around a little bit. They've lost four of their last seven, but uh, four points from their last two games um, are, is certainly a bit more of a positive turnaround. And, and they're only five points off of off the playoffs at this early stage of the season. So we'll see how things go there. But again, it's, you know, it's a couple of weeks before the championship uh, returns and another big weekend. It will be there. Um, not massive games really at the top of the table. It's a lot of a, a mixed bag. There's Middlesbrough versus Norwich, which will be an interesting one. Seventh versus third. Two sides that are on really good runs of form as well. Middlesbrough haven't lost in 10. Uh, Norwich haven't lost in seven. So that's going to be an interesting contest. But Two weeks before then, we'll review that, of course, next week. Moving on uh, to the FA Cup now, because, of course, there was no League One or League Two football last week. It was all about the first round of the FA Cup, and the FA Cup is going to come round thick and fast now with games uh, still just a couple of weeks away before the second round kicks off. Do you always enjoy it when the FA Cup comes around, or would you rather it well, be moved to one as an side? fan who's only won one game in their last 18, always dread the FA Cup. Actually, I'd rather play a stronger side in the FA Cup so it puts me out of my misery and we don't end up losing to, you know, Kings Lynn, who we would have been drawn against in the next round had we beaten Faulkner. Um, but that's an interesting point, actually, just because, um, you know, the same applied with Cholton. Yeah, you, you, Ipswich were eliminated in the first round, so were Cholton. And Cholton's manager, Lee Bowyer, who I know you respect as well, because he's a former Ipswich man. Um, he came out very openly and said that, you know, the FA Cup and the Football League trophy that League One and League Two teams play in, they're not for teams like us. And when he's talking about us, he's talking about Cholton and, and Ipswich would be in that conversation as well, of teams that are, you know, they have motivations to win the league and get promoted. And the same applies for League Two teams as well. They would rather focus their attention on those leagues. And he said about the idea of just scrapping those tournaments altogether for this season, especially with the, the circumstances we're, we're in. Yeah, I think, um, as you say, another competition is this Papa John's Trophy competition. Ipswich playing that yesterday. And, uh, I, you know, big follower of Ipswich. I would say I knew three of the players uh, that were fielded by Ipswich yesterday. <laughs> uh, we... I worked out that the average age fielded was uh, just over 18 and a half um, against, against uh, in, in a team or in a game where we needed to win to progress. And actually Paul Lambert said, you know, I'll chuck the kids out. If they win, it's a, it's a bonus. If they lose, then it's good experience for them. And then we're only focusing on the league. So you can clearly see that the managers aren't really taking it seriously. The FA Cup game against Paul Smith the other day, we put, put uh, we made nine changes to the side and, um, but Portsmouth kept an unchanged side. They they played the same eleven that played their last league game. So I suppose different managers have different opinions on it. I can I always have known that Paul Lambert's opinion is that he focuses on the league. 
I know that's frustrating for some fans. You know, I've spoken to a few other Ipswich fans who have always said, well, we've got a big enough squad to compete at least on another trophy, whether that be the FA Cup or the Johnston Paint Trophy. But he doesn't seem to say that seriously. Um, so, yeah, I think I think yeah. some managers would agree and say we should have scrapped the Cups this year and injuries are a big issue. You know, Ipswich have had three or four injuries in the last couple of games. And, and you do have to wonder how much of that is from playing too many games or whether it's just unfortunate that this has happened. But, yeah, I think it's an interesting point. I know um, a few managers um, suggested it to the league, saying actually we should have scrapped this. And I know it's, a, it's an opinion agreed with um, by Pep Guardiola and, and Jurgen Klopp, who have both said it after the game, uh, on which they played on Sunday, and both said actually we shouldn't have these uh, additional competitions this year and they should have been scrapped and just focus on the league. Um, so, yeah, it's a really interesting point. I think it's just a waste It's just a waste of time, really, I think. I, I understand, you know, that you get the rotation and it's a good opportunity for your young players, like you say, to, uh, to get some minutes behind them and get some first-team football that they wouldn't experience anywhere else. They wouldn't experience it in the league uh, necessarily unless there are injuries that come around. But, um, you know, especially this season where... I think there are there are fans. There are times where clubs in League One and League Two and their fans would want to obviously see a cup run and get to the third round where the Premier League and Championship teams come in and go and potentially experience an away day. You know, that's I remember as a Charlton fan. I've I've seen us at Tottenham back at the old White Hart Lane. I've seen us at Fulham at Craven Cottage when they were in the Premier League at the time, and they were great away days. I, they were honestly two of my favourite days out as a Cholton fan, despite the results that didn't matter, just because you were around thousands of other Cholton fans who hadn't been in that that kind of environment on that sort of stadium in a long time. And it was it was great. But um, you know, with this season when you're not gonna have that, you don't have that luxury of potentially going to the away days. Why why should I be interested? But I suppose, like you say, managers like Kenny Jacket at Portsmouth probably just wants to keep that winning mentality going and I do I respect yeah, that I think, on a degree uh, as well. Yeah, a couple of interesting points for that. I think um you know a lot of people's arguments with the FA Cup is that uh, it produces revenue for for smaller teams but that obviously isn't happening now because the fans aren't coming in and the gate receipts aren't there isn't any so this money isn't getting um mm. sort of given to these clubs. The other thing is I do feel you know if we look at some of the results from the Sunday games it does Enable, and this is probably the only positive. It does enable some of the lower sides to beat some of the some of the larger sides. So, like Scunthorpe lost three two to Solihull Moors, um, and uh, Wigan lost three two to Chorley. So, the fans of these clubs course, will probably yeah. feel that it's a great thing. Also, a, a result that caught my eye was a six five between Crawley and Torquay. Um, <laughs> I was going to talk that about that. Yeah, absolutely mental. If Ludicrous. you see the. the the goal, the goal times, and when the goals went in, and it's ridiculous. I, I tried to work it out and couldn't work out when all these goals had been scored. But those sort of games, <laughs> it was it was down to the um, it was down to the Crawley Town goalkeeper Tom McGill um, being knocked unconscious. Fortunately, he, he's made a recovery and he was he was taken to hospital, but he's out of hospital now. But um, that meant that there was nineteen twenty minutes of of injury time, and that's why we got we got a load of goals during the injury time. And then a load of goals in extra time, and it almost made it feel like it was overlapping. If you read it on the on a screen, yeah, it was, it was so a really strange. strange one. But those sort of games, you can sort of see half an argument as to why an FA Cup game might be 
might be desirable. But overall, I would, I would completely agree and say they're pointless. Yeah. Uh, but that is from a bit of a selfish point of view, from like what we would class as the bigger League One, League Two sides, you know, Ipswiches and Charlton's, who just, yeah, who don't necessarily see the, the importance of it. Yeah. Agreed. But like you say, you know, it is, it is an opportunity for some upsets. And you rattled off a few of the Sunday ones. A couple happened on Saturday as well. Darlington beat in League One, Swindon. Uh, Stockport County, who, you know, were a League One club, a football league club, many moons ago now. They defeated Rochdale. Kings Lynn, as you said, beating Port Vale. Uh, so there were certainly a few. Dagenham and Redbridge beating Grimsby Town. Marine beating Colchester on penalties. So these teams all then get into the, the second round and, and it gets them some belief. And I imagine they still get a little bit of money out of it. Um, probably not to the same extent or degree that they would have done uh, had fans been in. Um, the second round, of course, the draw has been done. Um, any games potentially that, that catch your eye from the second round of the FA Cup? Uh, taking um, place on the twenty eighth of well, November. Obviously, I was drawn to who it might have played. Uh, had it, had we progressed against Portsmouth, I think Portsmouth uh, versus Kings Lynn Town. It was probably a really good opportunity for Kings Lynn to play against a big side. You know, a team that have have been in Premier League and and have have won an FA Cup. So, um, yeah, I think that would be a really really interesting game. You know, they'll go with the belief that they could produce that upset. Um, straight away I don't know what about you is there any that caught your eye yeah I agree that the Portsmouth uh, Portsmouth Kings Lynn certainly caught my eye there's a couple of all league one affairs again that take place we had a couple of them in the, the first round and we've got another one in Plymouth and Lincoln who have both had very good starts to the season sitting in the in the top 10 of league one so that's going to be an interesting affair and see how you know do they continue to put strong teams out and look to get into the, the third round where they could get that Premier League tie. We shall see. Again, some of the teams that um, are lower down, you've got, you've got teams yeah, like Canby Island versus <laughs> Boreham Wood. One of those two teams. One of those two teams is going to get in the third round because they've been lucky enough to to draw each other. You know, it's, it, and then they you've got to say there is a bit of joy to be FA Man United in the third round. <laughs> exactly, but mental. people don't get to go to it. Heartbreak, yeah, I do, I do as well, yeah. But um, but it will be interesting that weekend. Uh, like I say, on the, the weekend of the twenty eighth of November, the second round of FA Cup games take place. The plus thing for you and me personally is the fact that because we got eliminated from the the FA Cup, we still get to play each other on that weekend at Portman Road, Ipswich yeah. versus Cholton. Uh, you fear, you know, one. I think it's six in a row. Um, and Ipswich have been hot and yep, cold, you know. Six in a row. Started the season fantastically. Um, still, I don't believe we've conceded a goal in the league yet. So, yeah, so I still, I think our home record really? in the league has been fantastic. Although we have, you know, we fell, uh, we lost against Portsmouth the other day in the cup. And we also lost to Arsenal in that Johnson Paint trophy thing. Um, but in general, yeah, our home form in the league has been fantastic. Um, so, and I think, you know, it'll be, uh, a great game hopefully against between two really sort of good teams and I feel like realistically Ipswich and Charlton sh- at the start of the season would have both been pushing for well their aim would have, and objectives would have been automatic promotion if not uh, at least the playoffs so yeah it should be a good game 
Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't realise that that was your form. I've just seen it. Yeah, five wins at home, no <laughs> goals conceded. So now I'm a little bit nervous about that game. But uh, there's, there's a couple of weeks to go until that because there's, there's games going on this weekend on the, the 14th. Uh, not that our teams are playing because international call-ups mean that our games have been postponed. Um, but there are a few games taking place this weekend in League One as it makes a return. Notably, probably the most notable game, as I said, there's two sides that are in form. Plymouth Argyle, they're doing very, very well in the league. And Portsmouth uh, against each other on Monday night on Sky Sports. So that will be an interesting affair. And I want to also mention uh, Sunderland. They're still playing on the weekend. They've they've started to pick things up a little bit. They've got a difficult game against uh, MK Dons, who, again, are also on a little bit of an unbeaten run as well, despite being at the foot of the table. I suppose that's a game where it's, it's two polar opposites, two teams going for the same, going for different things, I should say. Um, but on good runs of form will make it yeah, um, an interesting game, I've, I think. I've, Ipswich have played both sides so far. Um, and again, not being biased, Ipswich had a fantastic game against Sunderland the other day and the, and the, the fixture was ruined. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about referees, but by two major referee howlers. For... <laughs> we love well, talking about referees on here. You can, it's fine. Referee, firstly, sending off. Uh, Andre Dizel, um when even the manager of Sunderland said he didn't even think it was a yellow card. And again, talk about handballs, and it really frustrates me. You know, we saw it over the weekend, even in the Premier League with the VAR, and it just, the whole thing just is infuriating. Ipswich try and clear the ball, centre back volleys it out, the other centre back is no further than a yard away and it hits him on the hand. He's not even looking at the ball and the penalty is given. And I just, this is in the 88th minute and I just find that sort of penalty absolutely ridiculous. It ruined a fantastic game uh, and Ipswich had fought back fantastically well in order to get themselves level. So those two two calls had ruined that game. Uh, but were overall was quite impressive, Sunderland. However, Milton Keynes, Ipswich got a draw with Milton Keynes and actually Milton Keynes were the first team to take points off Ipswich this season the way that they played and the football that they tried to play I, w- I was surprised that they're they're not doing better because I was actually v- very impressed with them you know they were playing, yeah. trying to play really good style of passing football um, you know you're going to get the odd mistake when you're trying to do that and you know they did live life on the edge a little bit at the back occasionally but I was actually quite surprised you know their, their wing backs were getting forward they looked uh, like they held on to the ball well so I potentially could see a, a a little bit of an upset there. I wouldn't be surprised if Milton Keynes got a, a, at least a draw there. Interesting stuff. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I haven't seen MK Dons uh, yet. They haven't played out uh, Cholton as of yet this season. So I'll be interested to see uh, when they do come, if if I agree with your point about their football. But, um, but we shall see. Uh, quickly rounding off then, just with League Two, and there are two in my opinion, two interesting ones to point out, and that's because it's uh, new managers taking their teams out for the first time in the league. Richie Wellens in charge at Salford. We mentioned him uh, against Bolton on Friday night, another game on Sky Sports Football, 7.45. And uh, Nigel Clough at Mansfield, who me and Charlie said last week when it, it came out, because it broke as we were recording, um, we said it's a great appointment. It's someone who who really has a great knowledge of the football league and and could work wonders with Mansfield, but he's got a tough ask because it's a Mansfield side that are yet to win in the league and are down in the uh, sort of just just scraping uh, above the relegation zone. 
And he's got a difficult game coming up for a first league game against Forest Green, who are currently sat in the automatic promotion places. So, uh, yeah, two interesting games for those two guys yeah, to, absolutely. to start think, off with their new teams. Um, I've certainly seen it in the past when, when a new club brings in a manager, you can often see that new manager bounce and, you know, teams who you think, oh, they're never going to get another point and they bring in a new manager and it looks like, you know, they could be playing in the Premier League. It's ridiculous. Some of the some of the um, sort of changes and um, sort of just the difference it can make just bringing that new manager and a new style. So, again, I think that'll be an interesting mm. game on that Friday and, you know, the Mansfield, Forest Green, Rovers game will also be interesting. We'll see in and, and seats. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. Absolutely. Right. Lovely stuff. Thank you very much, Matty, for all of your input and insight into all four of the leagues. I, <laughs> I knew that you were a safe choice to get as a co-host because you, you do know your stuff about all four leagues in England. So thank you very much no, it's for, been a pleasure. for coming on and taking really part this week. I feel like we, we've been speaking for a, for quite a while, but I feel like we we could have spoken for even longer. You know, We both, both love our football and um, yeah, but really enjoyed it. It's flown by. Absolutely, yeah. It goes so quickly, you don't realise. But um, yeah, I feel like we barely even touched the surface. There could have been a lot more that we would have discussed. And uh, I'm sure it's stuff that, as I said, me and Charlie, who should be hopefully returning next week, it's stuff that we'll discuss next week as we preview uh, all of the four leagues and their upcoming games, particularly those big games that we said in the Premier League between Liverpool and Leicester and Tottenham and Man City, uh, as well as everything else from England. But uh as I, as we always reiterate here on the Drinks Break podcast, this is episode 19. We've had multiple guests, multiple people come in and taking part. If you want to come and take part, then please let myself or Charlie know through Facebook or Twitter. And please give the Drinks Break podcast a listen on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts and on Anchor, which we record as well. If you can find us, we'll all, we'll all be posted uh, for you to see online. Thank hey, you thank once you, again, Matty. You, and, really um, appreciate it, mate. Soon. I'll speak to you soon. And again, to our listeners, we will speak to you again soon. But take care. Stay safe. See you next week.